All right, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. It's good to be with you. Again, if we haven't met before, my name's Brad. I'm one of the elders here. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. While you're looking for a Bible and turning there, before we jump into the Scriptures, I want to begin with just a a few personal thoughts this morning that I want to share with you. Uh, I want to be open and honest with you. Um, The last four to six weeks have been difficult weeks in my life and in my family's life. We've had several different circumstances that have come up. Um, some things that are personal circumstances, some, some things going on with our kids, some things going on with ministry. My wife Katie is also in ministry. She works for Bethany Christian Services and she runs, she's the director of Safe Families for Children here in Memphis. And over the last six weeks, we've had several different circumstances that have been honestly very difficult. And I don't share that with you guys in order um, really to try to earn your sympathy or in order to say that what we've experienced is maybe worse than what you're experiencing right now. But I do share it with you in order to make an attempt at modeling and being open and just in saying that I'm a human being and that I'm not a super pastor and that um, I'm not a superhuman and that I have needs and it's really important that in times of struggle that we practice self-care. So all of you know that um, narrative that often takes place on an airplane where they say if we should lose cabin pressure for any reason, oxygen masks will drop from the ceiling and and you know how important it is that they say that you put your mask on before helping your kids or someone near you. And the purpose of that is obviously that, that you're able to continue to survive and to stay in the fight longer so that you can help others. And oftentimes as pastors and as Christians, as leaders, as many of you are, our first temptation will be to run not away from the fire, but toward the fire. To run toward the danger in order to help those who are in need. And I just want to encourage all of us that we would take the time to practice self-care which begins by being honest with God about what we're going through and honest with the community of faith that Jesus has put around us. And I'm so thankful for several different men who are in my life. There's a couple of senior pastors that I meet with regularly. I'm thankful for Ali and for Barrett. I'm thankful for our elders, for Chris and Jared, who helped to care for me. I'm thankful for good friends like Ben Roberts and Matt Nason, um, guys that intentionally pursue me and spend time with me, and my coffee group and my missional community, and so many people that God has put around me in order to help care for me and love me. And we all need that, that group of people who are around us. I've even reached out to a counselor um, and look forward to meeting with him because we all need to care for ourselves so that we can care for others. And I want to encourage each of you, if you're struggling, that you would begin just by reaching out to a friend, someone who's in your missional community or in, in your coffee group. Maybe they're not even in the Mercy Hill family, but someone that you can simply reach out to and say, I'm struggling. It doesn't have to be a psychologist. It's just someone who will offer a good listening ear 
and you can say, hey, things aren't going so well. So I want to encourage you that you would do that and that most of all, during times that are difficult, the one thing that I know that God is pointing us to during this time of pandemic I've heard so many of you say, I'm just over Zoom, and I'm over all the social distancing. And the one thing that I'm convinced of is that as we get over all of those things, God is calling us to Himself. And He's calling us as we see people and events and circumstances not satisfying, that we would run to Him, the one who truly satisfies us. So I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to jump into God's Word. I think you'll be encouraged this morning. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you are a God who hears us, who is with us, who knows what it means to struggle. And God, I I pray this morning for the hearts and the souls of those who are listening. God, some of those who aren't listening right now because... Um, They're tired and discouraged and they've kind of given up. And God, I pray for them that they would find hope in you. God, I pray for those who are struggling financially with job loss, with lack of income. God, I pray that you would be the great provider who would meet them in their need. I pray that they would be open and honest with friends in sharing their needs. Father, we pray for those who are struggling in this time with mental health issues, with anxiety and loneliness and lack of relationship. God, we pray that we would see that you are the God who never leaves us and never forsakes us, who is closer than the closest brother or sister could be. Jesus, thank you that you have shown us what it looks like to live life as a human being And God, that you've shown us not just how we can live life well, but how we can depend on you for forgiveness and for grace. God, may you draw us into your grace this morning as we study your word. May you remind us of the beauty of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would, grab a Bible, as I said, and turn to John chapter 6. And when I say grab a Bible, I, I literally mean it. Like, if we're going to make this live stream thing work, then you're going to have to do a little work as well. And so I want you to wake up, and I want you to go look around the house and, you know, find a Bible and grab a journal and grab a pen. And I want you to write a few notes down this morning as we walk through John chapter 6. While you're looking for your Bible, I wonder, do you remember a time in your life when you felt alone? In fact, if you would, take just a minute with me. Go ahead, right where you are, close your eyes. And with your eyes closed, what's the earliest memory you have of being alone? If you can't remember, let me help you jog your memory. It's probably a moment where you were filled with fear. You were all alone. You were filled with fear. Have you thought of an incident yet? All right, you can open your eyes. I can remember as a three or four year old kid 
waking up one morning. And it seemed as if the sun hadn't risen that day. I looked outside. It was dark. The wind was blowing. Rain was coming down. And as I walked around the house, my mom was nowhere to be found. And I can remember calling out, Mom! And I can remember going into our guest bedroom and searching behind the drapes and looking for her, looking under the bed and and trying to figure out, is my mom hiding from me somewhere? Where is my mom? I'm here all alone and I was in a panic. I I was hysterical. And in just a few minutes, the front door opened and my mom came walking in. And she had just taken my brother in the car down the street to wait on the bus so that he wouldn't get rained on before he made it to school and I was asleep and she didn't want to wake me and so she just left me alone in the house just for a few brief moments but I was in a panic when I woke up all alone maybe you can remember a time like that where you were all alone go ahead and and share with all of us who are together go ahead and share on the live stream what's a moment in time where you maybe found yourself at home alone Or maybe you were like me one time and you were in the grocery store. And you turned around and your mom wasn't there. And once again, my mom was busy shopping. I probably was looking at, who knows, most likely the Little Debbie snack cakes or something like that. And I turn around and mom's gone and I go in the wrong direction. And the next thing I know, I'm all alone. And an employee finds me and they take me up to the front and I think they, they call my name over the intercom. It was a small store. It was like something like a Piggly Wiggly or something like that in small town Alabama. And I remember my mom finding me and I was again hysterical and she wondered what was wrong. She's, she knew that, she was like, you knew that I wouldn't leave you here. But I thought in that moment, maybe she has left me. Maybe she took the groceries home and she's left me here. There are moments for each of us where we feel alone. And in those moments, we move toward fear. We aren't thinking rationally. I knew my mom wasn't hiding behind the drapes. I knew she wasn't hiding under a bed. I knew that she hadn't left me at the grocery store. But it felt like maybe that had taken place. I wasn't thinking rationally. Now as adults, we can identify with that childhood experience. In fact, oftentimes as adults, we'll do the exact opposite. We'll suppress our emotions or suppress our fear or just ignore them and try to pretend they don't exist. And so we end up saying things like, how are you doing or how are you feeling? And our response will be, I'm just kind of in a funk. I'm just kind of in a funk. And that funkiness comes from not feeling the fear that is at work in our hearts as we find ourselves all alone. And that's what the disciples were experiencing in the story that we're going to look at today. They're experiencing a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The context of the story is that Jesus has healed a paralytic and because he has healed this man who was lame, crowds by the thousands have begun to follow him and they followed him all across the Sea of Galilee to a point where he has taken just a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and he has fed, it was 5,000 men, probably twenty to 25,000 people that he has fed. And the people are exuberant. They're so excited. Here is Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would come and rescue them. And they are believing that he is the one who will overthrow Rome, who will give them all that their hearts desire. 
And they try to make Jesus king. And Jesus refuses their kingship. Because he knows that the kingdom that they desire is a kingdom that's self-centered. It's a kingdom in which they get everything that their hearts desire. But it's not a kingdom that is built around Jesus. And his values. And his kingship. And so Jesus escapes to the mountain. But before he does, he sends his disciples out on the Sea of Galilee. And we pick up with a story in John chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Today, I want to share a message with you about overcoming loneliness and fear. Overcoming loneliness and fear. The first lesson that we learn from this story is that we all experience storms. We all experience storms. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or if you aren't a follower of Jesus. We all experience storms. Followers of Jesus most certainly experience storms because Jesus oftentimes will send us into the storm. If you look at this particular passage of Scripture, you'll see that this story also comes up in Matthew's Gospel and in Mark's Gospel. Oftentimes, we'll see a familiar story like that and we'll go, oh, I don't really need to understand that story or learn that story I already know it but stories that appear multiple times within the gospels are there because we need to remember them they're very important in helping us to understand the truths of the gospel and this is one of those stories in following Jesus we will experience storms Jesus actually sends his disciples into this storm James chapter 1 tells us in verse 2, James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus oftentimes sends us into the storm. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll experience storms as well. You'll experience the storms of the natural consequences of your sin that unfold. I'll never forget early on as a pastor, I was meeting with uh, a mutual acquaintance of mine and and Andrew's. We we both knew this friend. And he came in to meet with me and and he was taking forever to get to the point. He was kind of hem-hawing around. And that's Alabama language for just spit it out, man. Like, what's going on? And he finally said... You're going to find this hard to believe, but my girlfriend and I, we just argue all the time. And I was thinking to myself, I don't find that hard to believe at all. She's pregnant, y'all have moved in together, and you're a drug dealer. 
Why would I think that y'all would do anything other than argue all the time? This is the natural consequences of your sin and doing things in the wrong order. And of course, you're, being, you're living in a storm. The storm's under your own roof, under your, in your own household. Everyone experiences storms. We're in one right now. It's called a pandemic. We all experience storms. Storms are all around us all the time. I shouldn't need to convince you of that. But we oftentimes will try to live our lives believing that life is just great and that storms aren't there. Folks, storms are all around us. Storms come in the form of children. Some of you are new moms and you have little infants and they are so sweet and so cuddly until about 3.30 or 4 in the morning on the fifth day straight. And you experience a feeling you've never experienced before when you simply have to take that child who's crying and will not stop screaming and you have to lay it down in its bed and walk away. Because that storm is more than you can physically and emotionally handle. And then they grow up. And you say, praise God, they can turn all the lights on in the house and they can buckle their own seatbelts and they can feed themselves. And you're going, hey, we've got it made now. And then they become middle schoolers and they lose their mind. And you're lucky if they even remember to close the refrigerator door. I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about all middle schoolers. Like, they just, they're so busy growing, their minds stop working. And you just do good to keep the refrigerator closed. Man. My kids eat so much at home. I asked them this week, I said, what do y'all eat for school lunch? And they said, not much. And I said, I'm going to need y'all to eat school lunch all summer long. Because you can't keep, there's storms all around us. Sometimes they come in the form of kids. Um, We all love our kids, but they do bring storms into our life. Sometimes storms are relational. You think, man, I can't find the right person. If I could ever find the right person. And then you find the right person and you come to discover that the right person doesn't complete you. In fact, they bring a storm into your life because you've never been so angry as you are at the person that you love the most. Storms come in all shapes and fashions. Storms come at work. You don't know a storm and you don't know how much a manager will make you or break you until you get a bad manager. And then you experience a storm. Storms are all around us. They come in the form of sickness. As we get older, it's a storm. Just get out of bed in the morning sometimes. It's like, whoa, I got, what happened? I got to do some stretches. Like, our bodies just start getting older. And we experience natural storms just by living. The African-American pastor said it well. He said, everybody's in a storm. You might be coming in one. You might be in one. You might be going out. But we all experience storms. If you think that I'm just kind of blowing this up for the sake of this point, one in five adults in America struggle with mental health. One in five. We all experience storms. But secondly, in this story, we learn that storms blow you off course. Storms blow you off course. Look at Matthew chapter 14. Look at verses 24 and 25. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. The disciples are struggling. They're blown off course. They've been at this task all night long. Storms would come up regularly on the Sea of Galilee. All right, can you guys hear me? We doing okay? Do I need to back up at all? I can a little? What was the last thing you heard? Sea of Galilee. Galilee. All right. So storms would regularly come up on the Sea of Galilee. 
And the reason being, the Sea of Galilee had a great depth to it. It was a lake, but it was, it was created right on two tectonic plates that came together. So there were mountains that rose up on the sides. Waves would reach six feet on the Sea of Galilee at times. And so if you can imagine what the disciples are experiencing there, they're fighting against these waves. They're rowing all night. They're blown off course. They're struggling. How do you react when you experience storms like the storm that the disciples were experiencing? Do you find yourself comparing yourself to others when you experience a storm? Like when you're blown off course, do you think to yourself, man, this is not where I thought I would be. This is not where I thought I would be at this point in my life, in my career, at this point in my relationships. Do you oftentimes find yourself comparing to others when you're blown off course? You know, the pandemic that we're all experiencing, I don't think that it's really the storm for us. I think in each of our lives, this storm was already going. And the pandemic just kind of took the natural anxieties and waves that were already around us and they just escalated them. And the waves just got even higher. We all experience storms. We get blown off course. Thirdly, storms are bigger than we can handle. The disciples had been struggling all night with this simple task they'd been given. They'd probably been across the Sea of Galilee dozens of times. Some of these men were fishermen. They'd, they were used to being out on the sea all night long, but this night, a simple task became impossible. We each face storms. How are you like the disciples? Do you try to work harder when you find yourself in the storm? Do you work hard? Or do you ignore the storm? Do you just pretend that the storm isn't raging around you? Or do you turn inward? Well, how do you respond when you experience storms and you're blown off course and you realize that they're more than you can handle? The big idea, I've waited a long time to share the big idea with you today. The big idea is simply this. Jesus meets us in the storm, so let him in the boat. Jesus meets us in the storm, so let him in the boat. Some of you guys, for whatever reason, whether it's shame or it's guilt about past experiences, but for some of you, you've experienced storms in the past where you've been blown off course and it was more than you could handle, but for some reason, you have come to the conclusion that Jesus is not for you that he was not with you, and that you continue to work and to battle the storm alone. This story teaches us that Jesus meets you in the storm. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 48. That's the fourth point that we see. Jesus meets you in the storm. In Mark 6, in verse 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. This is miraculous. Jesus couldn't see them. It was dark outside. There was a storm. They were in the middle of a lake miles away. But miraculously, Jesus was able to see a vision of his disciples and their struggle. And because he was aware of their struggle, he came to them. He knew their struggle. He saw their struggle. And I think that oftentimes for us, we, 
don't believe that Jesus sees our struggle. And the truth of the matter is this, creation is brimming over with the glory of God all around us. Creation is brimming over with the glory of God and we miss God on a regular basis. And I think that for some of us, we have an overemphasized or an over-exaggerated theology of depravity, particularly for Christians. And you may say, that doesn't make sense. And I, I, I don't know that, that we can, let me rephrase that. Uh, having a healthy theology of depravity, the fact that we are bent, there's something about us that, that is prideful and that runs away from God and we're born in this fashion, that's healthy. I don't know that you can have an exaggerated theology of depravity in that sense. But after coming to know Jesus, there is this sense that many of us have that God is just kind of waiting to strike us down, that, that he is displeased with us, that because of past circumstances, maybe he's judging us and there's some particular storm in our life in which we didn't respond too well. And so because of shame and guilt, we just think that God is just, just letting that one play out, just, just watching and just letting us receive a little punishment. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is with us in the storm. Creation is brimming over with the glory of God, and we miss him all the time. God gives us examples, and he meets us constantly throughout our stories. I'll never, remember, I'll never forget one of the loneliest times in my life was when I left the small town I'd grown up in. I'd done two years of junior college, and I went off to four-year school. And I showed up at this school where it seemed as if everyone already knew one another. They had been doing school together and I was the new guy who was there who was a junior. And I just, I remember distinctly feeling this sense and thinking to myself, I literally know no one here. I've never been this much alone. And my roommate had called me earlier and introduced himself. His name was JJ. I'll never forget walking into the music theater. There were hundreds of people in the theater. I walked in late. There were just a few seats left. I found an open seat and sat down. And this goofy guy turned to me. He was sitting with his parents. And he said, hey, man, what's going on? My name's JJ. And I just thought, of all the people in this room, God would allow me to sit down by my roommate. It's just a little way that God was saying, I am with you. The greatest promise that God gives us, the most frequent promise of the Bible, is I will be with you. Jesus meets us in the storm. One little tidbit to help you. However your dad failed you is the way in which you will struggle to believe that Jesus is in the boat with you. Let me think about that for just a minute. All of our dads failed us. I'm failing my kids right now, actively. Like, I'm... I'm not a super dad. I'm not a superhuman. I regularly fail them. But if your dad wasn't emotionally available to you, if your dad left you, if your dad said, I accept you according to your performance, however your dad failed you is going to be the way in which you're going to struggle to believe that Jesus is actually in the boat with you. 
And so it's in those moments that you need to be really careful not to listen to your heart, but that you would talk to your heart and that you would remind yourselves of the truths of the gospel, of how Jesus is for you, how he is with you in the storm. So let him in the boat. The truth is you must decide between faith and fear. That's the fifth point of this story. Look at verse 20. You must decide between faith and fear. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Did you know that's the most frequent command in all the Bible? It's not don't lie, don't murder, don't sin. No, the most frequent commandment in the Bible is do not be afraid. And oftentimes you'll see very quickly after that, for I am with you. Fear is a very healthy emotion for each of us. It gives us an opportunity to look to God for help. So fear is only a healthy emotion if it leads us to turn to God. And the way in which we can do that is we can practice being authentic and being vulnerable, both with God and with the family of God that he's put around us. And that's, that's what I tried to model for you earlier this morning, just being authentic and being vulnerable, vulnerable, becoming more real and becoming more human. It's important that we practice that with others and with God and that we realize that God is with us. Jesus is with us in the storm. So let him in the boat. The final truth that we see here is that Jesus always gets us home. Jesus always gets us home. It's a, it's a miracle. Look at verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Something miraculous took place here. We don't know exactly what it was, but the struggle that had been taking place all night long was suddenly over. It was a miracle. And it was a miracle because Jesus always gets us home. I was reminded of that this week. Early on when we planted Mercy Hill Church, almost nine years ago when we moved to Memphis, there was a couple who came along and they said, hey, we want to serve along with you. And they were the perfect couple for helping with a church plant. They were in their 50s and they had ministry experience. They had worked with church plants in the past. And uh, her name was Robin, and his name was Jim. Jim had been to seminary. He had served on, on church staff with others, but they were the perfect church planting couple because they said, we understand how hard this is, what you're doing, and we're just here to help. Just anything we can do to help, we'll be happy to do it. And they really meant it. Well, I got an email from Robin this week, and I wanna read it to you. Because it's an illustration of the fact that Jesus always gets us home. The email that nobody ever wants to write. Jim went to be with the Lord early this morning. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that he was able to be home with all of us, with him these last two months. Such a gift, so hard, but oh, such a blessing. Jim had worked with Alsacks in a really great job while he was here, but he was beginning to experience what they were concerned might be dementia, which in the next seven years became full-blown Alzheimer's. She went on to say, I will leave you with this thought. It's comforted me greatly. 
In some recent reading I have done, I came across a concept that was attributed to the Amish. Whether a person's life is one day, one year, or 90, days, or 90 years, when they pass away, their life is considered complete. This really resonated with me. This is something very whole. There's something very whole or solid about it. When you look at a life as complete, he's done all he was supposed to do. Then your focus is on that celebration, not on what wasn't done or isn't going to happen. She listed three scriptures, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Psalms 139. 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secretly, in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none, when there was none of them. She went on to write, God knew the number of Jim's days and planned good works for him to do. He knew Jim in the womb and how he was formed. God began the good work and now he has completed the good work. Jim walked in the works God planned. Yes, very imperfectly at times. We all have Jim stories, but Jim is now complete in Christ. There is no question I feel a great hole a missing piece. And there will be many times that I will wish Jim was here to experience something with me, but there is a greater comfort in knowing that his life is complete, that he did what he was supposed to do. There's a wholeness and solidness to it. It takes the sting away and changes my perspective. It brings comfort, and he continues to minister to me and to us by his life and how he lived it with us. It still bears fruit. She ends by saying, even in these last waning days, he blessed caregivers by how others ministered to us, the testimony of the body. They saw God's work in action and they told me what a blessing it was to see how our family responded. Again, I may not have liked it. These last days and hours were beyond hard, but God was still completing a work even as he was declining. His days were not too long or too short. They were complete. They were whole. Jim loved and appreciated all of you. He loved me and the kids incredibly well. 40 years, best friends, 35 and a half years married, blessed. Our marriage was like many others, and our marriage was like none other. I would do it all again. Grace and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. How does a spouse write words like that the day or a day after her husband's death. Robin's probably around 60. Jim was maybe in his mid-60s. How do you write those types of words when something so horrible has taken place? You write those words because Robin over and over and over again had practice letting Jesus in the boat. Where do you need to let Jesus in the boat in your life today? Where do you need to just surrender the storm that you're in, the circumstances that have blown you off course, the circumstances that are out of your control? 
Where do you need to surrender those circumstances and that storm to Jesus? What would it look like for you to let him in the boat? How do you need to preach the gospel to yourself to remind yourself that you're not judged by the shame and the guilt that you fear? That you don't earn Jesus' favor, but that you come to him in surrender, believing that he is God and that you are not. Maybe you're watching this live stream today and there's never been a moment in time where you've surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe there's never been a moment where you've said, Jesus, you need to get in the boat with me because I can't do this life in all of eternity alone. And Today is a moment in which you just need to say, Jesus, I have sinned and I need the God who created me to get in the boat with me. Would you save me from my sin? I wanna pray for you today. Jesus always gets us home. Let's be confident. He's with us in the storm. Let's let him in the boat. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've promised to never leave us or forsake us. Father, thank you that you tell us over and over again, do not be afraid. And that we can take heart in not being afraid because you are truly with us. Father, I pray for each of us as we struggle to really believe the gospel and as we struggle to really believe that you are with us and that you are for us. God, I pray that today that we would take the storms that we are facing in life and that we would wholeheartedly give them to you. And then God, that we would repent of the shame and the guilt that we have carried and that God, that we would look with expectation to see the ways in which your glory is brimming over in all of creation and the thousands upon thousands of ways that you want to reach out to us and touch us and love us as your children who are dearly loved. Father, thanks for this story that reminds us of the fact that we all will face storms, but that God, you are with us. God, help us to have faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.